0: Let's pray, and we will get into our text. Uh, Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you, Lord, for this time that we have uh, to gather to, to, to worship you. And Lord, I want to be careful with that word. Um, you know, in our in our Western thinking and and American Christianity, it's so easy to to identify the word worship with music, but it's music is just a small sliver of what worship is. And so, Father, we we thank you that we have this time that we can gather as your body um, to meet, to worship you through our fellowship with one another. We can worship you through um, singing together. We can worship you through our giving and contributing to uh, our local church here. We thank you for the freedom that we have in our nation. to open up our Bibles and to study the word that you've given us, really without fear of any sort of persecution. Um, Lord, many of us might not even recognize what a privilege this is, but we pause and and recognize the, the many martyrs over the centuries that have given their lives, that have been burned at the stake, who have been executed, so that we might have the very word of God in our hands. And we each have the Bible so readily accessible to us. And so we thank you for this great freedom. We thank you um, for this gift that you've given us as American Christians. We do pray for our brothers and sisters around the world that don't have that luxury. Um, There's severe persecution um, around the world, over the most of the world, for our brothers and sisters in Christ uh, who have real legitimate... Uh, fears for their well-being when they gather. And so we lift up our brothers and sisters to you uh, now. Lord, we ask that as we turn our attention to studying the account of the temptation of Christ, Lord, that you would guide us through your word, that you would help us uh, to see what you'd have us see from the Gospel of Mark and the other accounts of, of our Lord's testing in the wilderness. Lord, we are grateful For this time, we ask that you would help our minds to engage with the text and our hearts to be open to your leading. And we pray all of this in Christ's good name. Amen. Mark, chapter 1, verse 12. Immediately the Spirit impelled him to go out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild beast, and the angels were ministering to him. And Father, we do thank you for this story that Mark so quickly identifies and then moves on. Uh, Lord, we ask that you would help us as we slow down the story and and look deeply into this account. Uh, Lord, we ask that you would help us. Um, to learn about Jesus and His temptation, we ask that you would help us to learn from Jesus in His temptation. And it's in His holy name we pray. Amen. Okay, so today the, story, the story's moving, moving along, in Mark, he just is rapid fire. We come to this word immediately, which occurs something like 42 times in the Greek in uh, the Gospel of Mark. Mark just moves from story to story to story. I've said from the beginning that we're going to s- sort of slow down and take all of the gospel accounts. Um, it's called uh, it's Harmonizing the Gospels, where you sort of pull from all of them to look at the story. And I want to do that sort of in a balanced way where I don't want to... I think Mark is intentional in what he's sharing, and so I don't want to steamroll uh, what the Spirit of God inspired Mark to do for the sake of getting a broader story. Um, Today, we come to the temptation of Christ. It's probably, I don't want to say probably, it could be understood as the testing of Christ. Um, the parallel account is found in Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, and then in Luke chapter 4, 1 through 13. We will go to Matthew's account to sort of look at the temptations there just so we have an idea of what happened. Um, last week, I'd shared with you all. From verse 10, uh, we had Jesus' baptism. And as he was put underwater by John the Baptist and raised up, as he was, ra- as he was raised up, we're told that the sky uh, opened. Uh, literally, the word is it split open. And the voice of the Father came out and said, uh, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And that word for the splitting of the, the, splitting of the sky it's only used twice in the Gospel of Mark. And I believe that it's done very intentionally. Uh, we see it again in the very end in Mark chapter 15, verse 38, that Jesus, when he breathed his last breath on the cross, uh, we're told that as he let his spirit go, uh, uh, this, this great earthquake sound, the, the, this huge veil that was in the holiest of holies in the temple was split from top to bottom in half. And that splitting open of the veil is the same word that we see here, kind of for the, the opening of the skies. And you can make a case that this word sort of, they're the bookends of the Gospel of Mark, and the, the thrust of what he's trying to convey to us is found in between. Um, I don't really learn a book of the Bible until I teach it. I think that's why God made me a pastor because <laughs> I've never been a good student. And so I've, I've never been, you know, my wife is a total reader. I have kids that are total readers. Um, I was the class clown growing up. I found my entertainment in other ways. I, school for me was about maintaining... Uh, athletic eligibility, which is a very low standard, and I was always right on the cusp of maintaining that, Till I became a Christian and went to Bible college and seminary. Then I was a straight-A student, because I actually cared. Um, where was I going with this? It's just, I turned it into a roast all of a sudden. Um, but but I really believe that that God kind of forced me down the road of becoming a pastor to, to force my intake of the, the scriptures and... And I know myself; I wouldn't had I not been called into this role. I'm, I'm, far too lazy, or, you know, like I just can continue to roast myself on why I uh, would struggle in this area. My, my point <laughs> is, when I teach a book of the Bible, I really get to know the book, and I really get to know the author, and, and what he's trying to convey a month ago if you'd asked me what, what are some of the nuances of Mark, I could have told you that he's quick. It's a really fast read. He's the shortest of them all. He goes by bullet points. Um, but I couldn't have told you that he has an emphasis on persecution and suffering. Um, I couldn't have told you I don't even know if that's proper English. I could not have told you I think um, that He likely wrote this in the wake of of Peter's execution. That he wrote this during a time of um, just extreme persecution towards believers. That he wrote this to those um, who were Romans, who had given their life to Christ, um, that that hadn't had the account of the gospel laid out clearly yet. Um, This is highlighted by almost every commentator that I've done in my research of studying this book. Uh, Swindoll on the Gospel of Mark says this. He said, Mark gave special attention, more than the other Gospels, to the issues of persecution, the cost of discipleship, and the possibility of martyrdom. Taken together, the evidence strongly suggests that Mark wrote this uh, chronicle of Jesus' ministry to encourage and challenge believers during the persecution of Nero, uh, which claimed the lives of innumerable Christians, including Paul and Simon Peter. And so, as we get into this story, this, this recording of the temptation of Christ, the testing of Christ, which is I, I, I like better in my mind, um, we see that Mark does give a special nuance that the other writers don't give. And so, um, as I've been looking at this, meditating upon this, can, mulling over this, these two verses in my mind, I've come to realize that there's, there's much we can learn about Jesus. The key word is about Jesus in his temptation. And I also think there's much we can learn from Jesus, keyword from, through his temptation as he's an example for us. And so, as we uh, we get into the text here, verse 12, where, where we note that the first word there is immediately. I've already mentioned that this is, a, is sort of a key word of, of Mark that he uses to kind of, you know, kick the can down the road to get the story moving along. We we move uh, from Jesus's baptism; the um, the Father speaks from heaven. It's an inauguration of sorts of Jesus' ministry. This is when his public ministry began. The the father speaks, endorses, acknowledges, this is my son. And immediately, Jesus is drawn out to the wilderness for for temptation, for testing. Um, If we follow the thread of persecution that's found in the Gospel of Mark, and we look at the two bookends from verse 10 in chapter 1 all the way to verse or chapter 15 verse 38 when the veil is torn we see immediately that the father says this is my son uh, immediately following that continuing through the whole book that endorsement of the father is challenged from by satan by the religious leaders by the people that Jesus encounters all the way to dawn as he pointed out to me that the temptation for Christ continued to to that moment right before the end, other bookend appears and the veil is torn that he's on the cross and people are hurling insults at him saying, if you're God, let yourself come down from the cross. Mark records that he's on the cross and the other criminals that are rightly being executed for their sins and their crimes against humanity are hurling insults at Jesus from the cross. At any point, Jesus could have stopped all of it. He could have avoided it. He could have bypassed this plan of redemption. And this testing, these these insults to Jesus continue to this day by our hearts. Um, And so we see here, the Spirit impelled him to go out to the wilderness, this some of your Bibles, if you're reading out of the New American Standard or a like translation that's a very wooden-ish, word-for-word translation, uh, you might see a star there. And, and that indicates the type of verb that it is. It's, a, it's an interesting verb. It's, it's a historical present is what they call it in the Greek, which, is, which, which means that when you read it, you're supposed to read it in the present tense, but they're acknowledging that it's past tense. Which is sort of weird. How do you do something in the present that's in the past? And and Mark uses this tense of verb throughout the gospel of Mark. And it's believed that the reason that this type of verb is used is to highlight the story, to thrust us into the scene. It's almost like if Mark could make a movie, he'd want to make a movie scene so that we go there and are there in real time with Jesus through the temptations although he goes really quick but we're to read it as it's happening even though it's it's happened long ago it's interesting to see that the leading of this temptation the leading of this scene Jesus is passive in this throughout this account uh, the spirit leads him the tempt the Satan tempts him. All of these things are happening to him. It would be very easy to assume that the temptation of Christ is being done by Satan. But notice it says the spirit of God impelled him to go out to the wilderness. It was, it was the spirit who led him out for this purpose. I think so easily in our lives, a lesson that we can learn from this, when temptations come our way, when trials come our way, uh, when we're tested to sort of lose our faith in what God is doing, um, I think we're quick to say, oh, the devil's behind this, or it's whatever. But I think if we do that, we're, we're quick to miss something that God might be teaching us, to, to think that the sovereignty of God, that, that God could be leading you through whatever trial or temptation that you're presently going through. When I read Paul's writing, I think in Thessalonians and other places, you know, to, to rejoice always, to give thanks always, to, to be in these circumstances of suffering and trials and temptation and to genuinely have a connection to God that you give thanks to him is, is an incredible thing. Um, he continues, I think we're in verse 13 now, and he was in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by Satan. And so his purpose for being out in the wilderness is expanded upon a little bit. And it begs the question, what does it mean to, to be tempted? I've been thinking about this all week. I've been on a, I can hardly call it a quest at this point. Um, I've had something in the back of my mind for a couple of weeks, maybe a month or so, like, hey, let's be more healthy. <laughs> And so I came into to the church on Tuesday and the, the cemetery was having a board meeting and Louise Kelly always brings snacks and I've, re, I've stepped down from the board to kind of make time in my life and Melanie comes and they like, hey, there's cake back there. I'm like, get away from me, Satan. <laughs> like, I'm not saying it lasted very long because I've eaten a bunch of junk this week, you know. Um, so is that a temptation? I... I've had other things in my life this week that, that caused me to, to react in a defensive way where I get frustrated I think, well, is that a temptation? Or uh, where I see the, you know, the, 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 the work that's yet to be done in the maturing process in my life. Um, to Thursday, running a bunch of errands. And then the last one was like we were having a little gathering for some of the people on the Israel trip last night at our house. So I went to Costco to get some stuff to barbecue and food for fellowship last night. Put all those groceries in the car, get to my car. (laughs) You guys know where the story's going? It's like, are you kidding me? Do my few phone of friends a few phone a friend said, hey, you need to just, just call the tow truck, don't even, like there's nothing you're going to do here, just get the, the car towed and then deal with it at your house, um, called the tow truck, and, and uh, thankfully while the tow truck was coming, I'm like, I'm just going to give it one more shot, and it fired up, so I was really thankful, I've noticed that through that encounter in the last, I think I've started my truck about 10 times since then, I've never been so thankful and grateful to God that my car started, <laughs> And I think there's a lesson, like, why am I not always thankful when I turn the key and it goes? Like, I'm only ungrateful when it doesn't do what it's supposed to do. And so the question is, what does the word tempted mean? This word can be translated tempted or testing. It's interchangeable. Um, John Owen, who was a Puritan from long ago, uh, he defined temptation in a three paragraph sort of explanation which i'm not going to spare i'm going to spare you the last two paragraphs although i think they're right here and i think they're really good but when you start reading stuff you lose people but his short his short definition of temptation is this a temptation then in general is anything that for any reason exerts a force or influence to seduce and draw the mind and heart of man from the obedience of which God requires of him to any kind of sin, which I think is really quite good. It's, 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 a, it's, it's, a, it's a broad spectrum. Any, anything that happens to you that you have the option to either respond in a way in obedience or disobedience to God. Um, I, for some reason in my mind, I, I have temptation sort of categorized in the sense of of its its sin either from within me or s- f- satanic forces which i do believe are real sort of uh, with a with a fish hook in the line trying to lead gunner astray or you astray in, in whatever area that's not pleasing to god and you have to make that decision in your gut like no i'm not going to i've made the decision I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning back. And as much as that seems appealing, as flashy as that hook is, as much as like within me I want to bite on it, I have to say, no, I've made a decision. Now on the other side, if we take testing, I see that there's moments in our life as we grow and develop spiritually that God places in our path, sort of like our dear brother Job, We look at his horrific life and everything that happened to him. But for those of us that know the the behind-the-scenes stories, unlike his dear friends that get a bad rap, we see God saying, this guy is unbreakable, Satan. Do whatever you want, and I will show you. Test him. And I think that God does that in our development. Things get placed in our path where we have the opportunity to either sin against God Or we can respond by faith and allow God to kind of move us along. I think that there's spiritual growth that happens in that. That as he gives you testing, then you mature through it, then greater testings come. But also more opportunities for you to be used by God. And so here we have that Jesus is in the wilderness for 40 days being uh, tempted or tested by Satan I tend to think that these, uh, I can have an argument in my mind about what, what, w- which it is with Jesus. It's probably both. Um, to expand upon the idea of, of the testing thought, to, to demonstrate the reliability of um, the individual that's in question. Uh, there was an illustration made in a devotional today in the Word back in 1991 and they tell the story of the, the Union Pacific Railroad tracks being built across the United States. And there was one, there was one portion where there's this hu- like huge um, <coughs> ravine that they needed to build a bridge. So it was this huge huge trestle bridge at the time. I don't think they'd made a bridge that long before. And, and so the builder knew that his bridge was reliable. And so he decided that once it was built and they had it connected across this huge ravine, or canyon or whatever you call it. He decided to take a train and then whatever the normal load of the trains normally are, he doubled the weight and then he pulled the train and he just parked the train on the bridge for 24 hours. And the workers were like kind of not happy about this, that he spent a couple years building and said so like, what are you trying to do? Break the bridge that we spent all this time building? And he looked at them and he said, no, I'm trying to prove to you that the bridge won't break. And so I think there's an element in in Mark's story that when we look at the temptation of Christ in the context of the suffering that the believers were going through, that Mark wants to show that Jesus won't break and, and that he's reliable and that you can trust him to go through whatever suffering you're going through. The, the verse that I was clawing for last week, and I couldn't remember, I keep laughing at myself all week this week. Maybe it was premonition that it would be a part of the study, but Hebrews 4.15, the, the great passage that encourages us as believers to turn to Christ, to know that we have this high priest that's been tempted in every way as, that we have, that he understands we can, we can turn to him and, and seek his help and say, Lord, I'm, I'm, I need your guidance. I'm going through this struggle. Jesus has been tempted in every way that you are and you can turn to him and he understands what you're going through. I might not understand what you're going through. Your neighbor might not understand what you're going through, but Jesus does. And so Mark doesn't cover this in detail. We would just move along. And so to get a little bit more, I want to quickly sort of look at what the temptation of Christ, what the other authors have to say. So if you'll turn with me over to Matthew. In Matthew chapter four, It begins in verse 1. And I'm really just going to fly over this really quickly. Um, we read in verse 1, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness. Don't think Lake Tahoe, think desert. Um, <clears throat> to be tempted by the devil. And after he would fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, so it was a long time. This is like over a month. We're in six weeks. This is, this is a duration of time. Uh, this isn't just you and, me, and the, not you, me in the Costco parking lot going, oh, my car won't start. This is terrible temptation. Man, it lasted 20 minutes. Um, this is 40 days of living out in the, the, the wild with nothing, no food, no water. And he had, or it said that he fasted. I just inserted what Then he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights. He then became hungry at the end. And the tempter came and said to him, um, there are three temptations that we read about. They all begin with the word if. The word if is a tricky word, not so much in English, but in Greek it is a, it, it is a tricky word to translate in. I won't say tricky. It's, it's a word in the Greek that can have like four or five different classes. Um <laughs> The, the third or fourth one, I'm a little rusty right here off the top of my head, but the third or fourth one is a legitimate if. Like, if this is the case, and I don't know whether it is or not, then these are the options. So, uh, so, so if you eat your broccoli, you can have cake, since we're on the subject of dessert right now, so for, for me. <laughs> and so the, I don't know whether you're going to eat your broccoli or not. And so if you don't, then you won't get it. But if you do, then you can eat it. Then there's a first class condition, which is the, the, the one that's at hand. It could be translated, if you are, and I believe that you actually are, then this. So many times this word if is translated in English as since, or since, S-I-N-C-E, just for clarity. Um, And in all of these cases, when Satan tempts Jesus, he's saying it in the first class condition. There's no questioning whether Jesus is who he claims to be or who the Bible, who the father immediately previously said he was. Satan knows who he is. He says, since you are God, then there's these three temptations. Um, The the, the first one in verses three and four, it it has to do with um, good things done in the wrong way. So Jesus is hungry. There's a bunch of rocks in the desert. Satan says, hey, if you're God, I know you are, why don't you just turn these rocks into like fresh French bread right out of the oven? There's nothing wrong with French bread, especially not fresh out of the oven. Um, it's really good. You know? it's like, <laughs> get you guys all ready for lunch. There's a lot of things that are re- there. There are a lot of th- things that are that are really good. Um, how God provides for us. So your p- vocation, um, uh, you you can earn money the right way and as God has laid out, and do things with that, and you can trust God with it, and you can honor Him with it, and it's it's a gift that He gives. You can acquire money in less than honorable ways. You can acquire money in ways that maybe are not God's best plan. There's a whole bunch of different options. Things that are good, but if done incorrectly, they're not honoring to God, and it could be sin. And so for Jesus to turn something into bread, not a big deal. He's going to do it in his miracle. He's going to multiply bread in two occasions that we know of in the New Testament. But in the first testing, it would be the wrong thing for Jesus to do. And Satan knew it. And so Jesus then quotes back to him scripture. Now all of the quotations in Matthew and all of the accounts are, he's quoting Deuteronomy back. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and 8 are great chapters. It's been said that Jesus' favorite book of the Bible is Deuteronomy. I think it's the book that he quotes from most frequently. Um, And so he responds by scripture. Then Satan moves on to the second test. And this is where Jesus, not Jesus, Satan, where Satan distorts God's word. He knows the scriptures. He'll manipulate the scriptures to get people off track. I still think he's doing this today in many respects. And so Satan says, "Hey, hey, if you're God, I know you're God." I was reading in the Bible the other day to Jesus that that uh, when the Messiah comes, they'll be protected. And so let's go over to the, the temple and the wall, the east wall that's really big. Let's, let's throw yourself off the, this cliff. And the scripture says that the angels will surround you and catch you. And it's like, let's go skydiving without a parachute. God's, the word says that you'll be protected. So again, doing something in the wrong way. And Satan says, no, don't put your God to the test. And he quotes from Deuteronomy. Then the final one is what I refer to as the get rich quick scheme by selling your soul to Satan. (laughs) We're told that Satan then takes them up to this really big mountain. We don't really know what the really big mountain is. But then Satan says, look at all of the world and all of the empires. I'll bypass the cross and give this to you. All you have to do is bow down and worship me. And basically, at that point, Jesus quotes Scripture again and says, Get away from me. And, and Matthew and Luke sort of like button up the story. Um, they, they sort of make it like it's over. And then they move on to the next story where, where Mark, if you'll go back to Mark, and we read verses 12 and 13, Immediately the Spirit impelled him to go out to the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild beasts, and the angels were ministering him. Now, after John had been taken into custody, he just kind of moves the story along. There's, the loose ends aren't tied together. Um, he, he leaves it open-ended. Um, He adds this phrase, and he was with the wild beasts. No other account gives this detail. Uh, why does he do this? W- why in this account does, does he, Matthew and Luke, don't add any detail about the wild beasts. It's distinct to Mark. I believe, after my study, that I think it, it, it weaves into the theme of persecution and bringing encouragement to the original readers. We read he was with the wild beast, and we don't have the same sort of emotional response that they would have had. Some of you would go like, oh man, I should sure go for a weekend camping with the wild beast this weekend. That sounds like a lot of fun. That's, that's, that's not at all what Mark was trying to convey. Um, it would have carried weight of persecution. I want to read some highlights from some historians and commentators on this. Uh, one commentator named Lane says, In Jewish thought, the wilderness was viewed as a place of danger, gloom, and the abode of demons. The mention of wild animals underscores this idea. The wilderness was a place of loneliness and danger, the realm of Satan. Satan. Aiken continues in his commentary and he says, people associated wild animals with adversity and persecution. So including that detail would undoubtedly heighten the horror and danger of our Lord's 40 days in the desolate and untamed Judean wilderness. It appears from all of those, these conditions that Jesus does battle with Satan on Satan's home field. Um. So we still don't get it. Like, I can read that to you, but we still don't see ourselves in in the original reader's shoes. One historian during this time, Tacitus, this is what he says to highlight what they were going through. He says, Mockery of every sort was added to their deaths, meaning Christians' deaths. Covered with the skins of beasts, they were torn by dogs and perished or were nailed to crosses were doomed to flames and burnt to serve as nightly illumination when daylight has expired nero offers his gardens for the spectacle and he continues sort of unfolding this but but, but to put that in sort of layman's terms they, they would throw a, like animal skins over the christians and they they would throw them out so that wild beasts would attack them and kill them um, Nero was doing all sorts of stuff. He would throw evening parties and he would take Christians and burn them alive at the stake and that was sort of their um, their tiki torches. So for a Christian to come upon this verse out with the wild beast, it would have struck a Hebrews 4.15. Jesus was persecuted like we're persecuted. Christians who are Grappling with, uh, should I continue to identify with Jesus when my life is at stake? My family, our well-being is at stake. Our homes are in jeopardy. Our professions are in jeopardy. Do I want to continue to identify with this Jesus? And so Mark writes this. And when he reads, he was with the wild beast, they would say, Jesus understood what we're going through. And not only that, they would be encouraged by the last phrase, and the angels were ministering to him, there would be hope to them that in the midst of our persecution, Jesus is right here with us. And there would be hope to go on. Um, but, but Mark's story, again, it's so unfinished. Another commentator says this, Mark doesn't, re- he, I'm not gonna read it, he, he basically says, Mark doesn't leave it, Uh, he he doesn't close it up tightly because this is just the first round of a 15 uh, round fight that began back in Genesis chapter three, verse 15, when the father made the promise to saying you're done with a day is coming. I'm going to send my son and he's going to crush your head. And so Mark understands that in this inauguration of Jesus's ministry, as he's being tempted, it it doesn't end. It's going to go throughout the whole gospel. The Pharisees and scribes are going to persecute Jesus. They're going to test him. They're going to question him. Anybody that encounters Jesus, are, they're going to question him. Literally to the cross. As he's hanging there dying, he's going to be, if you're God, why don't you just let yourself down? The persecution flows throughout Mark and to this day. That there are people probably sitting in this room still questioning, is Jesus reliable? And I'm not saying that from a condescending anyway. I, I'm, I'm with with you. And so from the temptation of Jesus until the cross, Jesus is tempted and tried over and over and over again. And we're going to end with communion today and a a few thoughts that I want to give. So from the temptation of Jesus until the cross, Jesus is tempted and tried over and over again. What can we learn about Jesus from his temptations, his testings? I think like that uh, that railroad track with the car that sat there for twenty four hours that they thought would break it, and the, the the builders say, "No, I'm showing you that this track is reliable." I um, I forget the story, but I think the inventor of the elevator did the same thing because people were like horrified of elevators, like how am the how that's not trustworthy. And I think he got on there and just started jumping or something like something like crazy like that to say it's it's reliable, it's trustworthy. I think that the temptations that, that God's Jesus could have just come on an overnight mission and made a sacrifice and move on, but he was born as a man. He walked the human life. He had three years ministering, having people press back on him and test him and try him. The Father's showing us, no, there's evidence that Jesus is reliable, that his claims of who he says he is and who the scriptures say he is, he's reliable. You can trust him for salvation. Um, I think we also learned that Jesus is relatable and approachable to us Hebrews 4:15 and 16 again For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses but one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin So what What do we learn from that Well the author of Hebrews continues and he says Therefore let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace in times of need, it's, it's beautiful. See, I, I I don't have a clue what you guys are being tempted with. Like I got enough troubles of my own, to, you know, to like like I have my own struggles and trials, and I'm wired a certain way, and I have my own sin inclinations. And we're so good about putting up walls and faking stuff with each other. But what I do know is that we all have. Areas of temptation and testing where we're weak. And I know that Jesus relates to what you're going through, and you can turn to him and he can trust you. We get that from the temptation story. The second question, though, is what can we learn from Jesus and how he handled these uh, temptations? The first thing that comes to mind is Jesus was tempted. You'll be tempted. Don't be so surprised when you find yourself uh, in the Costco parking lot when your car doesn't. Maybe I should just go to the, you know, be more up on maintenance. But we're tempted in different areas. It's going to happen to you today. It's going to happen. It could be happening to you right now. It was going to happen to you when you get home. It's going to happen to you Monday morning when you wake up. Like as you go through your life, you're going to be tempted and tested if you're walking with Christ or if you're not. You're, there's all of these temptations all around us, so don't be shocked when it happens to you. I think we learned from Jesus that he depended on the Father and he knew the Scriptures. I, um, if there's anything that we as a church believe is, we believe in the Bible. We go through books of the Bible. We go line by line. We we want to get the Word of God into your hearts. Um, and it's not just on Sundays. We have Bible studies. Um, I love that Debbie's doing her trivia night once a month. I have yet to make one, but I hear there's been a lot of smack talk by children, like, so I'm gonna study up to try to win whatever the prize is on the next one I can go to, but I, but I, I love that we're a community that cares about the word of God, and we want you in the word of God, and you're gonna have to put the word of God into your heart, if, if you want it to help you in your time of testing. Cause all I know is that the testing is going to come, and if it's not in your heart, then you're not going to be able to lean on it for assurance. And so Jesus had it in his heart. You're going to say, well, Jesus wrote the whole Bible. He's behind the whole Oh, well, yeah, that's true. <laughs> but, but even if you, just met, if you had just, like Jesus kind of showed me that all you need is Deuteronomy 6 through 8 and there was enough there to defend yourself. If you have any little portion of the scripture in you, it's amazing how God can use it to protect you and to give you encouragement. I would encourage you to have a plan. So don't be surprised. But even though we're all wired differently, I think we all have our, um, Gunner has the things that Gunner struggles with. And the things that Gunner struggles with continually kind of like pop up in Gunner's life, where another person might not have the same things popping up in their life that I have popping up in my life. But in my shortnesses, I can come up with a plan of like, okay, where am I stumbling? Where does the temptation come? Where am I falling? Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna come up with a plan. So that when I find myself in that situation, I've already thought my way out of that situation so that I can avoid it. And I'm going to do this because I want to honor Christ with my life. I want to do this because God's word tells me that it's best for Gunnar's life not to respond this way. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 10.13 that no temptation has overtaken you, but such is common to man. And God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able but with the temptation will provide the way of escape so that you'll be able to endure it. This is one of the most misquoted verses in the whole Bible. I don't want to do a raise of hands, but you've all heard God won't give you more than you can handle. That's a misquotation of this verse. God says, he doesn't say he'll give you, life is more than you can handle, amen? Marriage is more than you can handle. Dying is more than you can handle. My car not starting on Thursday is more than I can handle. Like, Life is filled with stuff that I can't handle, and God's dumped it all on me. What He wants is me not to be self-reliant. What He wants me to be is totally dependent on Him. And what He tells me is that no temptation that's overcome, overtaken, Gunner, it's nothing but that which is common to man. And if at the end of the day the temptation comes to you, He's provided a way out. So go to Joseph's plan. Girl starts to trying to take off all your clothes. What does he do? He runs. That's in the Bible. I'm not just like that's 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 what he did. He ran, he got out of the situation. And so, when you struggle with temptation, when you struggle with sin, when you when you struggle with going into these things, run away, avoid, have a plan. Um. Uh, my greatest concern is for those like young people in our like that, that ten, wherever it starts, I feel like the number's dropping lower and lower, but what, eight years old, 10 years, like somewhere in there, I believe between like that 10 and 25 year range, the young range, Satan is on an attack for you. He is trying to get you. He is trying to get you to do things that you think will come with pleasure, with, sh- with uh uh, being able to get along faster in God's plan. Just this Saturday, I was saying, oh man, I wish the 45-year-old gunner could go back to the 15-year-old gunner and tell him, don't do that. And I knew I'd look at him and say, you're an idiot. You don't know what you're talking about. And I remember yesterday, like Saturday saying this to myself. I think I'd say, hey man, you're gonna make it past 40. <laughs> like if I knew that I lived past 40, things, just that would change things. So I think there's 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 seasons of our life which I do think Satan is going to be more prone to try to destroy you and get you off track. And so we need to be praying for our young people. We need to be there. If you're a young person, I don't I, I can't say I'm not doing this to call you out. I guess I am doing this to call you out. But you are in the midst of a battle for your soul. There'll be decisions that will affect you for the rest of your life. And if you can. Come up with a battle plan to resist temptation, to cling to Christ. Your 45-year-old and 80-year-old self will thank you for staying strong during those younger years. The other thing I see is don't do it alone. Um, Christianity is about community, it's not about being the lone ranger. I say this because all of this week, I've had the image of Gethsemane in my mind. We see Jesus all through his earthly ministry being tempted and tested and tried up to the night. I mean, through the cross when he gave up his soul. And so I bring up community because I see Jesus on that last night where he prayed and he prayed and he prayed and he's sweating drops of blood and he's pleading with the Father. Lord, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. If there's any other way than bearing the weight of the sin's world, let let it be. And he didn't go there alone. He went there with his band of brothers, the 11 disciples that remained. They were not perfect. We all know the story. They're all snoring within five minutes as he's pleading for them. But in the midst of it, he still had them there with him. And I can assure you that we as a church are not perfect. This church is filled with humans. Humans. If you want a perfect church, you need to get the human equation out of it, but that's not how God's designed it. God has called us to be in community with one another, to to hold each other up, to encourage one another, to be vulnerable with one another. Stop pretending that you're okay. It's okay to say, I'm really struggling right now. You know, every week, Jackie and Glenn come up here and say, hey, if you need prayer, come up and like prayer. Don't be embarrassed to come get prayed for. We need to be gentle and loving with others as we go through life because we, are, we all are sinners that have fallen short of the glory of God. We're not sinless now that we're saved. We're saved sinners now that we're saved. So I'm gonna ask the guys to come forward to pass out the elements. They're gonna pass out the elements and as they're going out, I would ask you to, um, to simply hold on to the elements, the cracker and the juice, to wait for everybody, but to take this time to um, to confess sin, to meditate upon uh, God's leading in your life. Father, as we um, prepare to take communion here in a, in a few seconds, a few minutes, Lord, we, um, we thank you that you are a God, a high priest that understands um, how we're tempted that you relate to us. We thank you for your perfection, that you are without sin. We thank you for your um, patience towards us. We thank you for your mercy towards us. And Lord, as we've reflected in areas of our life, we ask that you would help us to, Lord, that we would be followers, that we would genuinely hear your voice, um, that we would be quick to respond as you nudge us. Uh, temptations are are strong, and we have our fallen nature within us that is constantly trying to pull us off course. And so, Lord, we thank you for the example that Christ sent. We thank you um, for the things that we learn about Jesus through his earthly life of of testing. Father, we ask that you would just continue to guide us as we um, just reflect on a few more points about communion. And it's in Christ's name we pray. So as I studied this week, I, um, you know, I've been asked, like, why do we do communion? Like, with the frequency, some churches do it on the first of the month. I try to do it on a monthly basis, but I'm more driven by the text. We, we could literally do it every single week. I'd be okay with that. Um, but sometimes it just kind of becomes like a routine that you miss. Um, and as we study the temptation of Christ... Mark has opened my eyes to to realize that Jesus' temptation really, it was over the course of his whole life, like until the cross, like until his dying breath, at any moment he could have given in to temptation and said, you know what, I'm done with this. I'm the creator of the universe. I spoke this whole thing into existence. I created every single person. But he went to the cross, and he withstood the pressure of temptation, unlike anything that any of us could understand. Like I said before, when I look at this that's in our hands, I think of Gethsemane, that garden in the Kedron Valley below the temple, on the night which he was about to be arrested, and he faced extreme temptation to quit. To, to bypass the plan that had been set in motion that was that he literally was the linchpin for God's redemptive plan in human history. I look at the disciples, while not perfect, they were there, all of them except for Judas. They were there by his side. In their imperfection, he went to them a couple of times and c- continues, said, please guys, pray for me. So we see his example of community. We see his example of, of um, that we should learn from him. To Like if Jesus didn't need community, then we would say, well, we don't need community. But Jesus demonstrated community. And so we should learn from him that we should really thrust ourselves in community. American Christianity is turned into a bunch of lone rangers to be broken from the body. We're called into fellowship with one another. We have a cracker in our hand that's symbolic of Jesus' body. I hold this cracker, and I'm reminded that we need to seek and cling to God through his word and prayer. Um, It reminds us that he gave his all so that we might have communion with him, a relationship. We hold the juice, which is a reminder to us that ultimately, Jesus' work on the cross was sufficient. And as you place your faith into Christ and you trust him for salvation, we're told that his blood has washed us white as snow. It was a once and for all transaction and we can trust him for that. Whenever we take communion, we're reminded that we're to proclaim his death, um, that we have an obligation as his followers to take the good news to a lost world. And so, before I pray, I want to read the last verse of Hebrews, which is a beautiful prayer. And there we read in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20 and 21. Now the God of peace, who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, equip us in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Father, we are grateful for Jesus' example to us. We thank you for his broken body on the cross. We thank you that he paid the penalty that was due us in full, and that we've received clemency. We thank you for his blood this eternal covenant this new covenant. Lord, we pray that you would help us to have the assurance to know that our debt has been paid in full. Lord, we are so grateful. Help us to live in the newness of life that you've called us to. Help us to stay strong as we're tempted, as we're tested, as we're tried. We thank you, Lord and we pray this in Christ's good name. Amen.